Today's scripture reading is 1 John 2, verses 1 through 17, unless Pastor corrects me halfway through. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not only ours, but also for those of the whole world. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the manner as he walked. (laughs) Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I am writing to you, children, because you know the father. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. 1 John 2, 1-17. If you'd like to contribute to the Ketchums and you didn't in the morning offering, we will have a plate in the back for when you leave. Let's pray for the message now. Father, we just ask that our hearts be open to receive the words and Lord, we just pray for Pastor David, as he brings this message, it would be clear and that your hand would be upon it. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. If you can take your Bibles and turn to the book of Romans. Romans. If you missed a couple of Sundays, yes, we are still in Romans. We are made it to chapter 6. Chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 12. Romans chapter 6, verse 12. Last week, we talked about the holiness that a believer has being unified with Jesus Christ. Because of being in Christ, there's a holiness that reflects upon your life that is in the life of Jesus Christ. And a Christian, we learned last week, is to be dedicated to holiness, just like Jesus Christ is. So, 
Um, I'm going to tell you, now I'm going to quote you from a book, and I'm going to give you the name of the author. His name's Larry Cunningham from Billings, Montana. He's a pastor up there. He wrote a book on parenting. And that's the last you'll hear because I'm going to use this quote many times from now on, and I'll use it as my own. So he's getting credit now. He will not get credit later. In his book, he basically divided up the work of a parent into two parts. Two parts. Two parts. One, unconditional involvement. Unconditional involvement. Unconditional involvement. And uncompromising responsiveness. Those are the two keys to being a good parent. Unconditional involvement and uncompromising responsibility. Responsiveness. Responsiveness. Okay? Let me explain it. Unconditional involvement gives a taste of God's grace. Gives a taste of God's grace. In other words, a parent is supposed to give from God and give an example of giving grace to your kids. You are to follow the example of God in giving grace to your kids. You are a a roadway of grace from God to your kids. And you give grace to your kids. You with me? Okay. Now, a lot of parents would agree with that one. And they would agree with that. And they say, oh, yes, amen. Oh, yeah, good. Okay, good. Preach it, preach it. Here. Second point. Uncompromising responsiveness gives a taste of God's righteousness. Gives a taste of God's righteousness. So you're to show to your kids the grace of God and the righteousness of God. Now listen. In order for a parent to give the righteousness of God to their kids, they have to hold them accountable and discipline their kids. Boo, hiss. Not a modern philosophy on raising kids. Matter of fact, you have hear all kinds of things uh, about not spanking kids or not disciplining kids or treating them like your friends or whatever. But this pastor has a great idea. You as a parent are supposed to be God the Father giving grace to your kids. And you're to be God the Father giving righteousness to your kids. Which means you hold them accountable for their actions. Very interesting. Now, how does that relate to the sermon? Glad you asked. Because now we are in the place of children. Nudge your neighbor and say, hi, child. There you go. Good. Good. I see that in the back row. Good. Now, the change is, is we don't have parents. We have straight God the Father bestowing upon us grace and bestowing upon us righteousness. Where God the Father holds us accountable and bestows upon us blessings. God gives us the source of blessings 
And he also shows us the responsibility which sometimes comes with admonishment. Now, like I would teach a kid, I want you to live as many days without discipline from your parents. And since I'm looking at a bunch of kids, I want you to live as many days without getting discipline from your Heavenly Father. Go ahead, ask me. How, Pastor? Go ahead, ask me. Yeah. Glad you asked. We're going to talk about it for the next 45, 50, 60 minutes. Here we go. Romans chapter 6, verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. Here's the battle. Here's the battle. What is the strategy that the old self will use to tempt the believer to sin? What will get you in trouble with your heavenly Father is when you, as a believer, willfully sin. Here is the strategy Satan has to get you to sin. It is not a new strategy. It is an old strategy. It is the same thing every time. It is the same thing every time. And guess what? We fall for it. Hello? You think we'd learn. What is the strategy the old self will use to tempt the believer to sin? Therefore, do not let sin reign. Do not let sin reign. First thing you learn is that the battle will involve the same old king. The same old king. We have the same old king trying to lead us astray, and that king is called sin. Now, before we were saved, this was our king we served willingly. We willingly sinned all the time, and we didn't think it was bad. Matter of fact, we think we were virtuous because of our sins. We would sin all the time, and we would obey our king, sin, and we would sin, and we would sin, and we would sin. Now that we're a believer, we have an old king that does not reign over us, trying to get us to sin. The verse says, do not let sin reign. Sin is a power that's trying to control you. Sin is a power that's trying to trap you. Sin is a power that's trying to get you to do something which you used to do all the time before you were saved. Sin controls a sinner so that the sinner is a slave to the power of sin. Sin is like a master or a king reigning over us and in us. And it's trying to do it to us even as we are believers. Do not let sin reign. Reign is an imperative tense, present active. It is a command given to believers. We are not to allow sin to be our king. We are not to, to give in to sin. We are to fight against sin. We're not to allow sin to continue to have dominion over us. Stop letting sin reign in your life. Stop letting sin have power over you. It does you no good. 
present tense. Sin is going to continually try to get you to sin. It will not grow tired of trying to get you to sin. You defeat it, it will try again tomorrow. Same old king. Second, what is the strategy that the old self will use to tempt the believer to sin? Verse 12, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body. In your mortal body. Same old weakness. Same old weakness. Your mortal body. It is the same thing he tried to get you when you were a sinner before you were saved. You would sin and you would use your mortal body. Mortal, remember we talked about that a few weeks ago? That word is talking about somebody that's dying. And that's what you were before you were saved. As a sinner, you were in death. And you were dying. You were subject to death. Because of Adam's sin. So when a believer does a sinful action, he is obeying a dying body. When he is supposed to be living a resurrected life. Some think that believers have the flesh to battle for a lifetime the body of sin is done away with. But, at salvation, but, it's interesting, Romans 7, 5 says, For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. The only thing your body does in regards to sin is produce more fruit which is deadly. You have the same old weakness. It comes at you over and over again. You have that mortal body that wants to die, that wants to give in to sin, and wants you to give up and sin. Because that's what your body wants to do. The end of verse 12. So that you obey its lusts. So that you obey its lusts. Here we go. What's the strategy the old self will use to tempt the believer to sin? He uses the same old attack. Same old attack. It's always the same old attack. It always comes as a lust. It always comes as a desire. It always comes the same way. It's always the same thing. And it always comes and it wants you to obey. It wants you to give in to evil's desires. Now, understand what happens. In your mind, you think of something evil. Okay, let's go, let's go, uh, let's go. Uh, yeah, let's say, hey, um, Fred did not come to church on Sunday. Fred knew I was preaching, and he did not come to church. That pagan, Fred, Oh, how terrible he is. And I think in my head, boy, I would love to flatten his tires the next time he comes to church for missing hearing a great sermon that he could have heard coming to church. And I think I'll do that. Where's it come at? It's my head. It's my desire. It's my lusting to do something evil. And then what has to happen, that lust has to come through my body, my mortal body, where the mortal body can do actions that, well, goes over to Fred's house and flattens his tire. 
That'll teach him. That's how sin works. Sometimes, as a believer, we can stop it with the power of God and the Holy Spirit. We can stop it even before it comes out in actions, and we say, God, forgive us for that thought. But sometimes that sin, that desire, takes control and is seen in our mortal body and our actions. And we sin. Sin attacks you the same old way, through your evil desires. You wish for something you do not have or possess, and it's a yearning, a passion, a desire for something evil, or it could be a desire for something righteous. But here Paul is talking about something evil. Believers still live in a mortal body with the weakness of giving in to our evil desires. And we sin. Believers still alive, being alive by the resurrection power. We are alive by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are to resist the temptation and our evil desires and ask forgiveness and confess them as wrong. Verse 13. Verse 13. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin. What is the strategy that the old self will use to tempt the believer to sin? Number four, he'll use the same old plan. The same old plan. He doesn't come up with new plans. It's the same old plan. He'll want you to present the members of your body to sin. He'll want you to present it. He'll want you to bestow it to sin. For a person, this is where you have an act of the will. Where your thinking has now becomes an act of your will. Where you decide to go do it. And you try to figure out the best way to sneak into Fred's house and to flatten his tire. You think, I need to go at this time do this, and I need a good knife, and I better bring a backup knife in case I break it. You know, And you think. You go from the thought to an act of the will. And then you do it in an action from your mortal body. It says, do not go presenting. Imperative, again, command, present tense. You're not to... Con- Make it a habit, believer, of sinning. You're not to continually sin. You're not to continually give in to your desires. You're not to continually plan activities where you will do something evil. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11 says, Do not participate, present tense, in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them, present tense. As a believer, your job is not to give in to temptation, but to expose temptations and unrighteousness. You're not to give in to the members of your body to sin. The Greek term refers to the members of your body that produces sinful actions. Your body is where the actions come. And you are not to have a body of sin that comes from your desires and thinkings that leads to an act of the will and a plan of attack, and then you go and do it. One pastor put it this way, the body of sin is the instrument of contact 
That is a way a person interacts with this evil world. Your body is how you do the actions of sin. Romans 8 verse 10 says, If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Your body is dead because of sin. Your sinful body has to do with sin. It's physically helpless, but you're a believer and your spirit is alive. And you have the power by the Holy Spirit's leading to overcome sin. Middle of verse 13. Members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. As instruments of unrighteousness. What's the strategy that the old self will use to tempt the believer to sin? It's the same old battle. It's the same old battle. Do you see the word instrument? That word is a military term. That is a military weapon that you pick up to use. It's a tool of war. You have a weapon. If you allow sin to start in your head, go through the act of your will, and come out your actions, what you're allowing is you're using a weapon of unrighteousness. You are doing... Can you imagine? Okay. I don't know. I, I, I wish I thought about this earlier. You are a believer in Jesus Christ. Right? Don't raise your hand. Right? Now, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, baptizing you, making you a believer. You have, according to Romans 3, 4, and 5, you have been justified, declared righteous by God, and now in chapter 6, you're being sanctified, you're being set apart, you're being called to be holy, and you put on a new uniform. Okay, I wish I had a picture right now, I wish I had more time, of one uniform... And then the total opposite. Well, there you go, Civil War. Right? You had the blue and you had the gray. Now, can you imagine? Let's pick on. Uh, let's pick on. Let's pick on the South. Okay? Can you imagine a gray captain in the South? And he gets to the battlefield, and he sees the blue Northern Army coming down, and he decides. I like their uniforms. I really think their uniform would look better for me than gray. I tell you what, I'm going to do what I have to do so I can join their team. And that means what I need to do is somehow get on their side of the lines and then I'll fight with them against the South. Can you imagine that? So, uh, Southern gray uniformed captain in the middle of a battle starts going into the blue uniforms and he turns around and starts fighting against the gray. You would say to me, pastor, that would not happen. That captain would be an idiot. I I mean idiot in a loving way. Okay? Okay? He's an idiot. He wouldn't do that. 
But that's exactly what happens when a believer who has been justified, sanctified, and you have been declared alive by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are spiritually alive, and you go and play with sin. When you go and play with sin, what you're doing is you're participating in the warfare of the weapons of unrighteousness. You're in the gray uniform and you're acting like you're in the blue uniform. And it should not ought to be. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. That's where the scripture reading was. By now you know, scripture reading is going to be looked at later, and you keep a bookmark in chapter 2 where the scripture reading was. 1 John chapter 2, drop down to verse 16. The whole 15 verses talks about the difference between you and your gray army and compared to the blue army. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world, well, that's description of the army headquarters, the world. That's where the blue army lives, the world. Notice the description of the world. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. This is attack number one. They will attack... Physical pleasure. Physical pleasure. Satan says happiness is achieved by meeting your physical desires. And that's what the northern army will give you, southern captains. They will tempt you to somehow please your physical desires so that you will follow that lust. People of the world live to for the desires of bodily appetites, pleasure, physical pleasure. Second, notice what it says, and the lust of the eyes. Second plan of attack, the lust of the eyes. In other words, Satan says happiness is attaining things that you do not have now. Always wanting something else. The Bible calls it coveting something. You covet something. The eyes will see something and they will say, I don't have that. I would like to have that. And you will do something, whatever you can, to get whatever it is you want. And it's usually beyond your reach. And you think by getting it, you will be happy. By the way, one of the ways we do that in America is in magazines. We are overloaded with sexual magazines. This stat is late. I bet you it's a lot more than this. We have over 19 million sex magazines sold in America every week. And what are you doing with the sex magazine? You're trying to have something that you do not have or can never have. And you think somehow you want to please that. And it's beyond your reach. Third, the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. 
Literally, a person lays claim to possessing or achieving something which really doesn't belong to him so that he can exalt himself. Sinful, self-centered, bragging must be replaced with God-honoring. This area of sin involves public conduct and appears publicly. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. I went to a business meeting one time, and they were trying to sell something. And I, I came out of that meeting, and I went to my Bible, and I said, that business plan met all three of these goals. Matter of fact, it seemed like to me, it was so close, it seemed like they went to the Bible and said, how do we do the opposite? It was so close. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Okay, here you go. Since I stole something from a pastor in the beginning, I'm going to give you something that I've, I've done. Okay, here you go. I said, what would be the members of my body, my sinful body? What would be? Well, it would be my mind, it would be my eyes, it would be my tongue, it would be my arms, it would be my legs. Okay? Now, that you can take on your own. You can steal it from me. Matter of fact, I'd like you to steal it from me. I'd like you to think of how you sin. You sin with your mind, your eyes, your tongue, your arms, and your legs. How do you sin? A non-believer who's a slave to sin, who seeks to please unrighteousness, using the weapon of unrighteousness, how would his mind be sinful? And then another column, a believer who's a slave to God and a slave to righteousness, how would his life be different? Now, I came up with this. This is mine. Did this in my little office right over there. How would my mind act if I was a non-believer? Well, my thoughts of lust and envy would develop plans of evil. But a believer, I should only think the best of others and how I can edify them. Now, those are my answers. You can't steal my answers. I have them copyrighted, okay? Come up with your own answers. How do you sin with your mind? How about with your eyes? Seeing others, seeing only the worst in others. That would be a person of unrighteousness. How about righteousness? See only how I can help others. Or how about my tongue? I don't talk too much. I don't use my tongue much. I can probably talk more. How about if I say words of slander and gossip? Well, that'd be unrighteousness. How about if I speak words that only bring glory to my God? That'd be what a slave to righteousness does. How about my arms? Taking and handling things that please me and build up my pride. How about if I'm a slave to righteousness? Taking opportunities to minister to others with my actions. How about my legs? Non-believer, a sinner, 
running to serve and please myself and my pride. Slave of righteousness, running to serve others and please my God. Now, there are two options for those things, two roads, two results, two endings, two last chapters. For a slave of unrighteousness, there's a lake of fire set up for you after judgment. For a slave of righteousness that leads others to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So two different roads. Now, I will not tell you which one I had an easier time picking out the answers. Don't even think about it. Oh, you're thinking about it now. Quit. Which column would you be easier at answering? How about this last week? How was your mind this last week? How was your legs this last week? How were your arms this last week? How were your words? Were you pleasing God? Or were you pleasing yourself? Paul doesn't leave us here. He gives us the victory. He tells us how to win. The end of verse 13, or the middle of it. But present yourself to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Here he tells you the victory. Number one, how can a believer have victory in his life over the sin nature? Number one, the believer is to be obedient to the new plans. There are new plans for you being a believer. Being sanctified, there are new plans for you. You are to present yourself to God. You are to present yourself to God. You are to present yourself to God. Imperative command Aorist tense, point in time. It seems like a one-time activity. In other words, it seems you make a decision that for the rest of your life, you will be following God. You'll present yourself to God. One time. May indicate a complete commitment on your part. Or maybe what we might say, being saved having faith, trusting in God. The believer must choose to submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit and your Lord and King. Because you are living a resurrected body, you cannot be used for dead sins. Number two, present yourselves to God and those alive from the dead. And those alive from the dead. How can a believer have victory over this life, over sin nature? The believer is to be obedient to his new strength. His new strength. His new strength. There is no weaklings in this room if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Because you have a new strength. You are what the Bible calls alive. The world is dead. Sin is dead. But you are alive from the dead because of your salvation and the work of Jesus Christ. Present tense. 
Sin and death are not to have an effect upon you because you are alive. Only dead people live under sin and death. Jesus' resurrected, glorified body now lives to God. We are to live for God too. We are alive from the dead. The Greek term there, from the dead, literally means to be out from the dead ones. <laughs> out from the dead ones. The dead ones are all around you, but you're to be out from the dead ones. You are alive. You are different. You live different. You have a new self. You have a new power. You have a new everything. The end of verse 13. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. How can a believer have victory in this life over his sin nature? Number three. The believers to be obedient to the new battle. A new battle. You did not have this battle when you were a non-believer. Only when you became a believer do you have this battle. You are to be an instrument. Same word. You're to be holding weapons of war for righteousness. Righteousness. Righteousness is a character of God the Father, and it's to be a trait of all His children. You and I are to follow His character. The Bible's clear. Righteousness is imputed to us by God the Father through the work of Jesus Christ. Psalm 119, verse 32 says, I shall run the way of your commandments. Isn't that a good picture? Believers run not away from the commands of God, but we run to the commands of God. Because we know what side we're on. We know the, what, what battle we have. We know what the war is. We know what the fight is. We've been justified. We've been sanctified. We can fight because we're alive. For the believer... The grace he receives from God will lead to righteousness. The righteousness we have is a gift from God, and it's a virtue of believers to reflect in their lives righteousness. We are to be righteous. Number four, verse 14. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. How can a believer have victory in this life over his sin nature? Number four. The believer is to be obedient to his new king. You, knew, you have a new commander-in-chief. The commander-in-chief is not sin. Your commander-in-chief is the Lord Jesus Christ, who did the work of salvation for you. You're to be following Him. Sin, it's interesting, sin does not have an article before it, which seems to indicate that it's talking <clears throat> about any sinful action. Get this. You cannot have one sinful action repeatedly, habitually in your life. Well, I'm sorry, did I step on your toe? Is there something you're keeping from everybody else? By the way, you're not keeping it from God. Not one. 
You're not to be controlled by any sin. Not to be a master over you. Five. How can a believer have victory in this life over sin nature? The end of verse 14. For you are not under law, but under grace. Now, we've been, it's been a while since we talked about the law. Remember the law. The law seems to be, in context here, the whole Old Testament. All the do's and don'ts in the Old Testament. We are to be obedient to a new power. We're to be obedient to a new power. It's interesting. The word law there doesn't have an article either, so it seems to be every command in the Old Testament. You are free from that law, but being free from that law does not mean you can sin any sin you want. Being free from that law puts you under grace. Okay, I thought I would get a cheer from that. Okay, do you understand that you were saved from sin and death? You were saved from a king that was just giving you only death. You had no future, only death. You would eventually get in the lake of fire and experience more death. You would be in the lake of fire with death. You would have nothing but death. You have been saved by the work of Jesus Christ, the justification of God the Father, and you are saved by grace. Oh, I got one amen. Okay. One. Here we go. Let me get you more excited about grace. Grace. Grace does not come with the article before it. It seems to be talking about every blessing God can possibly give you. You get every single blessing God can possibly give you. God gives you grace. Every single blessing He can possibly give you. He gives to you because He loves you. You have every single possible blessing from God. Every single one. Okay, it's not like being a little kid, getting out of the Christmas tree, shaking all the boxes and not finding the toy you wanted. With God, you get everything. Instead of being headed towards death (laughs) and an eternal death, you get every blessing possible. All you got to do is battle with sin for 70 some odd years. And then go to heaven. Grace reigns in power. Grace gives you power. Grace changes your life. It energizes you. It gives you battery power. Enables the believers to live a resurrected life. You can live a resurrected life alive because of grace. Grace. Believers obey the master who gives you power to obey is the grace of God. Grace. The believer will, under the power of grace, therefore, want to do the righteous act. Because of grace, you want to do the righteous act. You want to serve others. You want to minister to others. You want to love others. You want to do the good thing. You want them to be edified. You want them to grow. You want them to be saved. You want them to be evangelized. You want them 
because you have experienced grace and you want as many people as possible to experience grace. Grace. The new king, Jesus Christ, brings grace and he reigns his kingdom through righteousness. Grace. Under grace, God himself comes into our lives and inclines his heart to us and our heart to him and away from sin towards righteousness. Any promise that comes from God is an act of grace. Grace is undeserved mercy from God. Grace gives God glory and gives the believer the source of every possible blessing he could experience. Will I stay in union with Jesus Christ and submit to the Holy Spirit's power by standing firm against the temptation to sin? By not allowing sin to reign over my earthly body. Will I stay in union with Jesus Christ? That's the way you want to stay. Closest to Jesus you are, the more righteous you will be. You want to submit to the Holy Spirit's power, which was given to you by grace of God. You want to stand firm against temptation to sin. You don't want to do it. Even when this thought begins in your head, you want to stop it. You want to stop it before it gets to your will. You want to stop it before it gets to your actions. You want to stop it. Because you don't want sin to reign over your earthly body. Because Jesus Christ is your king. Here you go. I'm going to give you a new Romans road. Romans road. How do we battle against sin? Romans 3.25. Write that down. 3.25. Christ died for your sins. Christ died for your sins. The payment has been paid for your sins. Romans 3.26 God the Father justifies you. God the Father justifies you. Romans 6, verse 5 You have become united with Jesus Christ forever. Romans 6, verse 6 You have died and rose with Jesus Christ. You are resurrected spiritually. And one day physically you will be. Romans 6.11 You consider yourself dead to sin. Consider yourself dead to sin. Romans 6.12 You say no and you choose God. You say no to sin and you choose God. God will take everything you need. He will take care of you. He will make you happy. Isn't that funny? That Satan, your sin nature, tries to tempt you thinking that some sinful thing will make you happy. He says you do sin, you will be happy. You have an affair, you'll be happy. You, you cheat at work, you'll be happy. You cheat in your taxes, you'll be happy. You, you do whatever the sinful thing is. You murder somebody, you'll be happy. You'll be joyful. It never works. Let's, let's, let's listen to what the Bible says about happiness. You okay with that? Here we go. Eight things that will make you happy, according to the Bible. 
Psalm 144, 15. Psalm 144, 15. The Bible teaches something different. I will be happy if I have God as my Lord. I will be happy if God is my Lord. That will be the best place you can be, and you will be happy. Psalm 32, 1. I will be happy if I have my sins covered. If I have my sins covered. Proverbs 3, verse 13. I will be happy if I have wisdom and understanding. Which, by the way, only comes being justified and sanctified. Proverbs 14, 21. I will be happy if I give to the needy. Isn't that interesting? You give to the needy, you'll be happy. Proverbs 16, 20. I will be happy if I listen to and trust God. Listen to God and trust Him. You'll be happy. Luke eleven twenty eight. I will be happy if I listen to and obey God. <laughs> I will be happy if I listen to and obey God. James 1, 12. I will be happy if I persevere under trials or hardships. You persevere, you'll be happy. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. I will be happy if I suffer for what is right. I will be happy if I suffer for what is right. Which team are you fighting for? If you're fighting for God's team, I promise you happiness. Because the Bible promises you happiness. If you're fighting for the enemy, I promise you only sin and death and a hot place in the lake of fire. Because that's what the Bible says. If you're on the team, play by the team's rules. And you will be joyful if you're on my team. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time in your word. I pray, Father, you help us to live in this world full of temptations. We can't even watch commercials now. There are so many temptations. Father, help us to deal with the temptation, the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life, Father. Help us, Father, to deal with these things and not be giving our resurrected spiritual self to things that only dead people experience and find joy in. Help us, Father, understand we're a citizen of heaven. Help us understand, Father, that we've been justified and sanctified. Thank you, Father, that you've worked in our lives. You've given us the Holy Spirit. You've given us grace. You've given us every possible experience in this world so that we can be joyful even living in this world. I pray, Father, that you help us to say no to sin this week and yes to righteousness. Be with us, Father. Help us each step of the way. Help us with each battle. Help us to use your weapons. Help us to use, Father, your grace. We thank you, Father, that we're on the winning team. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.